This is The New School with your host, Christine Hong. Welcome to a new kind of school, where we talk about career paths you don't normally get to hear about in the classroom. Every episode, I talk to someone with an interesting life path and learn about how they got to where they are today. Today, we're sitting down with Jen Kramer, who lives full-time as a magician in Vegas. I first met Jen while we were on our college ski team together, and during our weekend trips at the ski cabin, she'd wow us with her magic tricks, but I had no idea she was planning on making a career as a magician after graduating. And now, she's the only female Hellander magician in Vegas at just age 27 with her own weekly show at Westgate Resort and Casino. She's also been featured on the CW's Masters of Illusion and NBC's Today Show. And I think she's truly a lesson in being proactive and really inspired me with how she really goes after what she wants. Even though she's actually like one of the most positive people I've ever met. Like I've never seen this girl in a bad mood. So during the show, we're going to cover how she got started in magic, how she grew her career as a professional magician, and what's it like to headline her own magic show in Vegas. Jen, yes. welcome to the show. I'm so excited to see you after <laughs> half a decade. I know. I'm so excited to see you. It's been too long. I know. I think the last time I saw you was in a snowy cabin in Massachusetts or something yeah. for a ski team retreat. Oh my gosh, those days were so much fun. <laughs> Great memory. What was your, your favorite uh, magic trick back then to perform on, on the ski team trips? Because you were so limited with your supplies and your Ooh. drunk audience. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. What a good question. You know, I remember there would be a few tricks that I would just keep on me at all times, and they would be things that didn't take up much room. You know, I could fit them in my backpack that I brought on ski, ski team trips. Like, uh, most like card tricks I loved. I was definitely in a card trick phase for sure. I remember doing a torn and restored card a lot where you tear off a corner and then you restore it back together. And what I loved about it was that it was visual and it was fun and you could involve somebody who you were performing for. So it had that audience participation component to it. Um, It actually is still a trick that I love to this day. Wait. Do you still perform that one? Can you tell me the secret? <laughs> or like, <laughs> Magician can reveal her secret. Uh, I'll never know. Okay, tell me <laughs> offline. Um, <laughs> all right, cool. Okay, I'm so excited to be with you today. Um, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, okay, wait. So I actually, I don't know the this. So like, I'm so curious, when did your interest in magic start? So I first started learning magic when I was 10 years old, when my uncle gave me a book for my 10th birthday. And this book was called The Royal Road to Card Magic. And it was an old school magic book from the 1940s, all about card tricks and card techniques and different types of shuffles. And I just loved it. And I loved books as a kid. I still do. And so books were really my first introduction to magic. And then I joined a young magicians group and I went to magic camp and just, you know, got as much performing experience as I could performing anywhere and everywhere I could. And that's really how I first got started. Okay. Wait, so what did you enjoy so much about performing um, magic? Sure. So I think when I first got started, it was exciting to learn these new tricks. And it was exciting as as a kid being 10, 11 years old to kind of learn these 
cool secrets of how to do things and you'd you'd show them to the grown-ups who seemingly knew all and yet you you knew this thing and you were able to amaze them and wow them and I think there is something cool about that to a 10-year-old and I think as I grew as a magician and developed you know my my why my reason for loving magic sort of evolved over time and so I think it soon became less about the secrets of magic and more about connecting with people and having that experience of just genuine human connection and being able to kind of use magic as a tool to connect. Yeah, performing is so fun. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, so I remember when we went to Yale together, um, you, you majored in theater and you were performing magic tricks all the time and you started the Yale Magic Society. But when did you know you wanted to do magic as a career? <laughs> So I've always loved magic, and I always knew I was interested in pursuing it as a career. I think the college years for me were about figuring out how do I take this thing that I love, this passion, and practically make it work as a full-time career. Uh, And so I took an internship in Las Vegas over two summers in college to learn about how the Vegas showbiz world works. Um, And I was figuring out at that point, where do I want to be? And, you know, what are the practical steps I need to take in order to, you know, take this thing that I that I love and want to make happen and actually make it work in a practical sense? Yeah. Oh, so you already knew going to college, you're like, if I could make it as a full-time magician, like, this is what I would want to do. Yeah, I knew it was something I was interested in doing. I just, at that point, going into college, didn't know exactly how to get there. So I think those colleges yeah. are super helpful in figuring that out. Yeah. Did you ever consider, like, any other career options or was that it for you? You know, I thought about other things, but that was the thing that just I kept coming back to because I loved it so much. And I remember, you know, growing up, my parents would always say, do something that you love because if you love it, you'll be motivated to work really hard at it. And so therefore you'll, you'll make it work. You'll excel at it because you'll work so hard at it. So it really was the thing that I always loved doing that I always wanted to do. That's amazing. Okay. I feel like people like me <laughs> struggle over like so many interests. So that's cool. It was always that thing for you. So why did you decide to go to Yale then? I guess, is there really a good college for an aspiring magician? <laughs> well, education is something that's always been really important to me and really important to my family. Uh, and I wouldn't trade my Yale experience for anything. And in fact, as a theater major, I think there's so much there's so much overlap with theater and magic, and there are so many transferable skills uh, and so much that I learned. And, you know, my professors were so supportive and, in fact, encouraging of my magic. And they, you know, would allow and encourage me to incorporate magic into class presentations. And my senior project was an experimental magic show. So it was just a wonderful wonderful experience overall. Yeah, I felt like I had the chance to learn so much and uh, yeah, definitely an experience that I that I value, you know, being able to to be at Yale. Plus we met, which is Yeah. I feel you. Wait, so how did you find these uh Las Vegas internships? Uh, are are they magic internships actually? So, they weren't existing internships that, you know, were out there that I applied for. Um what I did was I just reached out and I thought, you know what, if I want to make this work, I have to be proactive about it. So I just essentially reached out to, you know, the magicians who I admired, 
who were doing shows in Las Vegas. And I reached out and said, hey, is this something that you would consider? You know, could I do an internship with you? And, uh, you know, I ended up interning with Nathan Burton, who was doing at the time a big illusion show at the Flamingo. Uh, he's now moved to the Planet Hollywood. But uh, this wasn't something that he had done before. He hadn't previously had an intern, uh, but he and his team were open to the idea. And uh, it was a wonderful experience. I definitely learned a lot about the Vegas showbiz world. And, you know, I think that's a that's something that's been super helpful to me in general is just being proactive and going after what you want and not just kind of waiting for it to fall in your lap. And I think looking for a magic internship was an example of that. It wasn't something where I saw an existing internship. It was just something where I thought, okay, let me, let me reach out and let me see if I can make this thing happen. Yeah. I love that you made your own path. That's amazing. So how did you find their contact info? Is it just on their websites? So some of it was through other magicians who I knew. Some of it was online, just sort of a, a combination. Wow, that's so amazing. What were the internships like? You got to um, just like watch your favorite magician perform and assist him with tricks, I'm assuming? So it was really an experience doing whatever whatever needed to be done. I think, you know, as an intern, I just wanted experience. I wanted to learn. And so whether it was, helping out backstage and wearing all black and helping to move props and set things, or whether it was, you know, handling emails and media requests, it would really be kind of whatever was necessary to make the show run, whether it was on the performance side or the business side. And I loved just getting a chance to have those varied experiences. Oh, okay. So, um, I guess after the internships, was it pretty straightforward? Did you know where to go after school, after graduation? So I think one thing about becoming a professional magician or, or really becoming any kind of entrepreneur is that it involves a lot of charting your own path. And it's not like the path is laid out for you. It's not like, okay, you do step one, then step two, then step three, and all right, you're a success. I think a lot of it is is really kind of coming up with your own path and figuring out, okay, you know, what's my goal and how do I get there? Uh, and so for me, that process started when I was in college and, you know, during my junior and senior years, especially when I was more seriously considering, okay, how do I take this thing I love? And as I mentioned earlier, kind of make it a practical reality. So during my junior and senior years, I started reaching out to various people in Las Vegas because I, I had sort of realized Las Vegas was this mecca for magic and was a really exciting place to be for magic. So I started essentially cold calling and cold emailing uh, and really thinking about it as a numbers game. And, you know, I think the key to that is just not getting discouraged if you get a bunch of no's. And I think going into it with the expectation that you'll get those no's um, and the way I thought about it was if I get one yes, then it's a win. So it doesn't matter if I reach out and, you know, as, as they ended up doing, most of the people I reached out to would say, you know, we don't have, uh, we've never done anything like this before. We don't have the budget for it, or we don't have the space for it, or it's just not something we're interested in right now. And I think the key for me was I didn't take those things personally. I knew that I was just reaching out, just a cold call, just a cold email. They didn't know me personally. Uh, and it was just, it was just a matter of pitching my idea to 
enough people and, and having an idea that I really believed in and that I really thought would, you know, provide a benefit to the guests of these hotels. If I was reaching out to, let's say, the hotel managers and proposing a show and pitching that idea, um, you know, I think it was just about really being kind of proactive and being persistent and knowing that even if I got a whole bunch of no's, just getting one yes would be a success in my mind. Okay, cool. So you reached out to them for just like new grad positions, basically in magic. Um, And did you get any yeses? So I reached out to them really pitching, pitching my own idea for a show. And, and so that was, that was exciting. And, and luckily, even though I got a whole bunch of no's as I expected to, um, I did get a few hotels that were interested in sitting down and having a more in-depth conversation. And really, that was my goal was to, you know, be able to sit down in a room with them face to face because I started this process from my dorm room in New Haven, Connecticut. Yeah. And so my goal was, okay, if I can actually sit down face to face with them in a room, I have the best chance of being able to really pitch my idea and make this thing happen. So luckily, uh, there was a hotel called the Wyndham Grand Desert Resort. And I ended up flying out over my spring break and meeting with them. And they, uh, they were open to the idea and they said, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's give it a shot. And so by the time I actually moved out to Vegas, I had that first show that I knew I could count on that I had sort of already set up. And then the other shows were once I had a working model with that first show, I was able to go to these other properties that I was in discussions with, but we hadn't yet sealed the deal and say, Hey, we've got this thing that's working. You know, we've been doing it now for a month. What do you think? Would you like to give it a try too? And then the second property signed on and then I kind of went from there. Wait, I see. Wait, so did you have a video of your magic tricks you sent them or like was your show idea suggestion just very unique? So my, my idea was basically that you know, a lot of the the bigger hotels, I'm sure, were inundated with requests left and right. They were right on the strip. They had, you know, big departments running, uh, you know, all these existing shows. And I'm sure they were getting pitches left and right. And my thought was, let me start with a smaller show. Let me reach out to some of the smaller hotels or maybe some of the off the strip properties, even if they're not small, but, you know, places that weren't right exactly where all of the tourists are. and let me pitch to them an idea of doing a show right on property, right at their hotel, where the guests didn't have to leave and go to the strip, but they would have an entertainment option right there uh, that you know would allow them to experience something right on property. So that was essentially the the concept. Oh, it's low budget, free for them. That makes sense. So I figured, let me start with these with these smaller shows for their guests and. You know, ultimately, one thing led to another. And, you know, I also ended up doing corporate events and private parties. And luckily, a few years later, ended up uh, starting the show that I'm doing right now at Westgate Resort and Casino. And I think it was those shows that I did leading up to Westgate that really prepared me for that. Yeah, that's so exciting. You're so young and you're highlighting your own weekend show every week at a major Vegas casino. Uh, are there any other places a magician can go and like live as a magician? There are. So I thought about New York because I grew up in New York. My friends and my family were mostly in New York. Mm-hmm. And there 
is uh, there is a vibrant magic scene there as well. I thought about LA because the magic castle is in LA, for example. I know you mentioned that before we started the interview that you are going there next yeah, month. Yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited for you. I think you're going to love it. So there's definitely um, a really cool community of magicians based in LA and kind of surrounding the magic castle because you know that is really such a special place. So I thought about those places, but ultimately for me, you know, I had this dream of headlining a show. And for me, you know, Las Vegas was really the magic capital of the world where so many of the magicians I admired were. And there were so many creative magicians and people to collaborate with. And I just felt like, you know, if having a a show, a residency is my goal, Las Vegas felt like the best place to really make that happen. And I've loved it here. I mean, it's such an exciting place to be, especially for a magician with the kind of vibrant entertainment community here. So I, I really do love it. Is your path pretty straightforward or do you think you got lucky compared to other people who try to become magicians? I think, you know, there's, there's always an element of luck, I think in general, but I also think a big part of it is just being proactive and persistent. Sort of like we were talking about before. I think it's, yeah. it's about kind of, you know, going after what you want as opposed to just sort of being passive and waiting for opportunities to fall in your lap. A story that that I think about was I remember when I was about 13 or 14 years old, I noticed that in the local Barnes and Noble, they had this uh, little storytelling stage kind of by the children's department. And at that time, I just really wanted performance experience. I was a 13, 14 year old. I wanted to be able to perform for real people and get that real life performance experience. And I remember calling up the local community manager of this Barnes and Noble when I was in eighth or ninth grade and saying, you know, would you be interested in having a magic show? And at first I volunteered to do it. You know, it wasn't about making money. It was just about getting that experience in front of real people. And uh, luckily they were open to that idea. And, uh, after a while, it became a regular show and it became a paid thing. But really, it just gave me so much of that flight time and um, enabled me to work out you know, new material and to just get comfortable in front of an audience. And it ended up leading to other gigs because people would see me as I was 14, you know, 15 performing at this Barnes & Noble. And they'd say, you know, oh, we'd like to have you perform at our party or this or that. Uh, so that was you know, to me, an, a lesson early on about being proactive, because, you know, if I hadn't made that initial contact with the community manager of this Barnes & Noble, this wouldn't have happened. It's not like they just reached out to me out of the blue. You were talking about developing your routine. So how do you come up with your own original trick? Sure. So I think there are a lot of classics of magic that you can put your own spin on. Uh, and then I also think it's exciting to come up with new things. And often it's a collaborative process. Um, for me, I love that teamwork component. I work with a team on my regular show at Westgate. I'll work with various magic consultants and various friends in magic, and we'll brainstorm and we'll bounce ideas off of each other. Yeah, wait, what is a magic consultant? So there are so many magicians who you know, focus on various elements of magic. So there are some magic consultants who will come in and consult on magic, sort of like a consultant in any other field. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll offer whatever their expertise 
might be. And they'll you know, help you develop new magic or they'll help you refine your existing magic. You know, there are some magicians who are primarily magic creators who come up with new magic and then market it to the rest of the magic community. There are some magicians who really focus on performing. There, there's really just within the magic community kind of so many different avenues that you can go down, which uh, is really interesting to me. Wait, I, I actually, I, I feel so ignorant on this topic. What are the the main different branches or avenues of magic that people focus on? Oh, there are so many. I mean, if you think about performing markets, for instance, you know, there are cruise ship performers, there are corporate magicians who specialize in, you know, customizing magic for companies. There are you know, magicians who have headlining shows. There are magicians who do, you know, just close up magic. And there are magicians who just do large illusions. And there are magicians who kind of do a bit of both. And so there's so many different ways to be a magician. What do you focus on for your show? What kind of tricks? So our show focuses on it's magic, comedy, it's mentalism, it's audience participation. That to me is one of the components that I love the most because every single show that we do is a little bit different since every audience is different. And especially for a show that really involves lots of audience participation, the audience really does make the show what it is, which I find so exciting because all kinds of fun and unexpected things have happened based on who happens to participate in the show on any given night. And they feel like, you know, there are these moments they feel like are just for them. And they feel like this doesn't happen every night because, you know, someone, for example, might come up on stage and might say something really funny. And then we can kind of, you know, go off script and just have fun and just really be present in that moment and banter. Uh, and I think people can sense when something really is situational when something really is happening in the moment in real time and they feel like they can be a part of creating that. Yeah. Can you kind of walk me through the process of how you came up with like an audience interactive trick? Cause you were talking about these brainstorm sessions you had. So I'm very curious, like just a little peek into what that's sure, like. Sure. I think for me, a big part of it is thinking about what the end result that I want to achieve is like, what do I want the audience to experience and then you can kind of reverse engineer that and think, okay, how do I build a magic effect that makes that end experience possible? So it's kind of working backwards from like, here's ultimately what I want the end result to be. And then you kind of think, okay, how do I get there? Wait, really? What do you mean by the, the end result? What, what's the end result you want? So for example, let's say you want to make a rose appear out of thin air, right? And so from the audience's point of view, you want them to see nothing in your hands, nothing suspicious. You just all of a sudden want to snap and have a puff of smoke and have the rose appear there. Well, then you start thinking, okay, that's what I want the audience to experience. So what are the different magical methods that I could utilize to get to that point? And then it's sort of an experience of trial and error. And maybe you're brainstorming with other magicians, or maybe you're writing notes about, okay, here are different possible ways to make that happen. What's the best way? You know, And you factor in what type of environment you might be performing in, for example, because different methods might work better depending on what performance situation you, you're in. Are you are you doing a trick for video that you know is going to go on Instagram or are you performing for a live audience? And does that live audience consist of 20 people or does it consist of 200 people or 2,000 people? Because all of those might influence which road you decide to go down in creating that end effect. 
what is your day-to-day like? Like what else do you have every day besides this headlining show right now? So no two days are the same. <laughs> I think part of the excitement of being a magician is that really every day is different. Uh, mm-hmm. And my show is every Wednesday through Saturday at five o'clock, but I also do corporate events. I do private parties, performing arts centers, and I'm also working on you know creating new magic as far as the content of the show. And then the other side of what I'll do is the business side of show business, the marketing, the advertising, the, you know, as they kind of say in the business, the, the getting butts in seats and promoting the show so people find out about it and want to come see it. So it's really sort of a balance between the creative side and the business side. And every day is a little bit different. Cool. Um, do you find these corporate gigs um, pretty much like you mentioned with Barnes Noble, you just like cold reach out to businesses? I think it happens in so many different ways. Um, I have you know, various agencies that I'll work with who I have a relationship with. And so you have a magician agent. Oh, there are, there are all kinds of, all kinds of agencies who will hire, whether it's magicians or comedians. Um, So I'll work with them or there'll be people who will come and see my live show and then reach out about having me perform at their company event or private party. So it'll happen in all kinds of different ways. You're saying a lot of your time is spent marketing. So I was wondering what your marketing strategies are for yourself. So that is also a process that continually evolves. And, you know, I'm always trying to think of new ways to market the show, but it's definitely uh, something that is a team effort. uh, And, you know, Westgate is super, super helpful with that as well. But I think essentially it's about, uh, it's just about finding ways to get the show out there, whether it's through, uh, ticket brokers, whether it's through social media, whether it's through, you know, promoting the show at special events. Uh, there are so many different ways that you can market, but the main idea is just to make people aware of the fact that the show is happening. Uh, you know, if you look on TripAdvisor, for example, there are 197 concerts and shows in Las Vegas. So on any given night, you know, a person has so many options of what to yeah. do. And so how do you find sort of your target audience and how do you let them know that your show is happening and encourage them to come and see it? So there are lots of different ways, but that's the main goal. Yeah. What do you think your target audience is? is? Like, how do you stand out from the other magicians who perform the same night? You know, there's so many different ways to put on a magic show. There are so many different uh, sort of atmospheres that you can create and so many different kind of performance personalities. And I think for me, you know, we wanted a show that was family friendly, that kind of as we were talking about earlier, that you can enjoy whether you're seven or whether you're 70, that you can, you know, bring your kids to or bring your parents to and that everybody can enjoy the show. So I think that's a part of it. I think the audience participation and really involving the audience, I think incorporating comedy, uh, you know, of course, being a female magician, uh, just because I'm currently the only female headlining magician in Las Vegas. I didn't realize you're the only current female headliner. That's amazing. Oh, thank you. Why do you love school? You you had a few weekly shows at kind of like more like smaller venues at local casinos in Vegas. Was that enough money to live off of or did you have to do any um, like extra day jobs to support yourself at the time? 
So luckily I was able to make that work through a combination of those regular weekly shows and also doing those corporate events and private parties. When you reach out to them, do you usually just send them kind of like a video reel of your tricks and an idea of what you would perform or how do you convince them that you're a good magician? Sure. I think, uh, I think video is super helpful. Promo materials in general are helpful, whether it's photos, videos, testimonials. I also think it's knowing their audience. So knowing how you can best serve their audience and knowing how it will be a benefit to them and sort of thinking about it from the perspective of the person you're reaching out to. What's the interview process like? Do you usually just perform a small routine for them? Is there even a standard for this? I'm so curious. (laughs) I think think it's different depending on the situation. Uh, You know, for me, when I was first getting those initial shows in Las Vegas, I would first send them promotional materials because, again, I wasn't physically in Las Vegas. I was still in college at the time. And then when I came out to Las Vegas, I was able to perform for them in person. I offered to do a show for their employees just so that they could see what it is that I was offering. And so I did that show and their employees reacted well. And what ended up really kind of making that happen was that they saw that the show actually worked and the decision makers were in the room seeing the show happen in real time. We had been in discussions about it, but that's when I think we were able to really kind of move forward and make it a regular thing. Yeah. Do you have a most nerve wracking moment while performing? One thing that comes to mind is the fact that the show involves audience participation on stage. So for example, we've had times where there have been audience members who come on stage and really see it as their moment to shine. There's a, there's one person I remembered who came on stage and I think he, he just felt like, okay, this is going to be my show. So he would just go on and on. And I think you have to know how to handle a situation like that. And so, uh, you know, in that moment, I think what I really realized was that I had a microphone. So I I perform with an ear set microphone. So it's a little microphone wrapped around my ear. And the the microphone is just about maybe a couple of centimeters from my mouth. And so the audience can hear me speaking, but the audience member on stage does not have a microphone. And so if the audience member says something funny, I can repeat it and it'll get a laugh from the audience. But if the audience member is just kind of going on and on in a way that the audience would not find entertaining. I'm in control because only the first row or two or three rows can hear what the audience member is saying if they're not mic'd. Uh, But I have the microphone, so they can hear me. So I (laughs) choose what I want to repeat and bring focus to and what I don't want to. You know, if someone, for example, said something that might not be totally appropriate for all ages, I can choose not to repeat that. And most of the audience will not have heard a thing. So I think it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of the specific situations involve that audience participation and unexpected things that people will say and do when they're on stage. That's so funny. You're editing for the the man. (laughs) That's really funny. You mentioned like, as you perform weekly shows, you started to find even more weekly shows because obviously you, you have a more audience. I was wondering if there was a particular breaking moment, like how to get the headlining show or was it just a natural progression? So I was continually gaining as much performance experience as I can and as many hours of performance under my belt as I could. Uh, I also think uh, TV experiences were a part of it. So I had the chance to be on Penn and Teller Pulas 
a few times actually, and on Masters of Illusion and on the NBC's Today Show. And I think all of those experiences were also really helpful just in terms of sharing my magic with more people and sort of gaining some more exposure. Um, How did you get on the Today Show and Masters of Illusion? I'm so curious. So each each story is is different. Um, for Masters of Illusion, I believe they reached out to me. Uh, it may have been because I had been on Penn and Teller Fool Us. Perhaps that was how they found out about me. I'm not exactly sure. But I think in that case, the producers had reached out and said, you know, do you have anything that you'd like to do? And we sort of started a conversation and it went from there. Um, you know, and you pitch your ideas of what you'd like to do and they determine whether they think it's a good fit for the show and kind of go back and forth. Um, so each, each story for each show was really different. Cool. Um, today's show, did they also reach out to you? Uh, today's show they did, I believe through my website. And uh, again, we started the process of sort of talking back and forth and went from there. That's awesome. They reached out to you. You didn't even have to reach out to them. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Any other shows you think you're going to want to reach out to or want to be on in the future? Uh, <laughs> there are. I mean, I think the yeah, the live show is, is definitely a priority to me and continuing to build upon my show at Westgate is super important to me and something I love doing. But as far as TV, I can, I can think of some, uh, definitely some shows that I'd, I'd love to be on. And, you know, I'm working on creating new magic, both, for the live show and also for potential TV opportunities. One thing about being on TV, especially nowadays, is that, for example, people can rewind the appearance. They can go frame by frame. So you want to do the kind of magic that won't be revealed and that is sort of TV friendly in a sense that you want people to be able to go back and rewind it and not see the workings of the trick. And so I think there are special kind of considerations with that because a lot of the misdirection that magicians rely on in real life has to do with connecting with a person right in front of them and being able to misdirect their attention. But when you're performing for a camera or on a TV screen, you can't necessarily exactly control where the viewer's eye is going to go in the same way that you can if you're performing in real life. And so I think you know, it changes the element of misdirection and you need to approach it in a different way, keeping in mind that they'll be seeing you through the frame of a TV screen as opposed to kind of in person. What's next for you? Uh, what's your dream position? <laughs> so I feel so lucky, so fortunate to get to do my show at Westgate, as I mentioned. That's really been you know, my dream for a long, long time. So that is a show that is continually evolving. And I love that. And I'm proud of what we've done so far. And I want to just continue building that I want to continue making it a better and better show. Uh, and then I want to uh, continue to create new magic. I think that's an important part, just creatively coming up with new things. Yeah. And, and reaching as many people as I can, you know, this is something where I just, I want to take magic as far as I can. I want to reach lots and lots of people. I want to think about different ways to do that, whether it's through live shows, whether it's through television, a combination of the two. Cool. I know we kind of touched on this before. I, I can tell you love the performing aspect. What's so specific about magic that like you really drew you to it or 
Is there any other types of performing you really like were considering even besides magic? So I think what I love about magic really comes down to the connecting with people and also that experience of wonder, which I love. I think when you do magic for someone, it's like you turn them into the five-year-old version of themselves where they're seeing the world through this lens of wonder. They're seeing things anew. They're seeing something that was seemingly impossible become possible. And I think there's something really beautiful about that experience of childlike wonder. And I think kind of at its core, that's really what I love about magic is the connecting with people and the experience of wonder. I love that answer. Oh my God. My God. All right. What is the most difficult decision you had to make to fulfill your destiny? I think it was leaving my friends and my family who were mostly in New York and on the East Coast and moving out to Las Vegas to pursue this career full-time as a magician. I think leaving behind what was familiar and what was comfortable and moving to an entirely new city to pursue this thing I love uh, was not the not the easiest thing to do. I think the easy route would have been to go where I was most familiar and where I knew the most people and where I was the most comfortable at the time. But I also think it was in pursuit of something that I cared so much about. And I am so glad that I made that decision to move to Las Vegas. I think it's such an exciting place to be for a magician. And as it turns out, friends and family end up passing through Vegas all the time, which is so much fun. I feel like I get to reconnect with people from all areas of my life who you know, will come and see the show, for example, and maybe I haven't seen them in five or 10 or even 15 years, someone I knew from childhood or someone from high school or someone from college. And because Vegas is this destination where people will come for conventions or for bachelor or bachelorette parties, whatever, <laughs> it's like I end up reconnecting with so many of my friends and family being here in Vegas, as it turns out. Yeah, you basically get to see everyone right before they get married with all their best friends. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's so funny. Awesome. Is there a biggest mistake you felt like you made um, during this whole process? I think the fear of making mistakes, there's an opportunity cost to that. And sometimes people's greatest strengths can also be their greatest weaknesses. I really believe that. I I care so much about magic and I want to make it just right. I want to handle situations just right. But I also think there's a flip side to that, which is that if you're, if you're so afraid to make mistakes, there is that opportunity cost. And, you know, I'm someone who I'm a big fan of productivity. I'm a big fan of efficiency. And I think it's challenging to, you know, move forward and really make substantial progress if you're worried about making a mistake. What do you think is the best thing you did for your career? Oh man, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, I really do think that's it. I think that's, you know, the advice I would give to to anyone else who might ask is just be active, be persistent. I mean, we've talked about it, but I just think that's, that's the common thread to me. I feel, I feel. Um, all right, we've reached the end, so I'm giving you 60 seconds to promote anything you want. Okay, thank you. Uh, for anyone who may be coming through Las Vegas, I would love to have you at my live show at Westgate Resort and Casino. We're on every Wednesday through Saturday at 5 o'clock. 
Uh, and you can get tickets. You can go to my website, which is magicofgen.com. That's magic, O-F-J-E-N, with one N, dot com, magic, O-F-J-E-N.com. And there's a link that will take you to the Westgate website where you can learn more about the show and the details and get tickets there. Um, you can also find me on social media, on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, at Jen Kramer Magic, J-E-N-K-R-A-M-E-R magic and uh would be great to connect with you there amazing yay thank you for having me this has been so much fun have a lovely day jen oh you too have a magical day (laughs) all right guys hope you enjoyed my interview with the magical jen kramer also the new school is looking to hire a marketing intern and audio editing interns. So if you know anyone who's interested, please have them apply at thenewschoolpodcast.com. They can just go to the contact page and just reach out. So if you also could subscribe, rate, review would be greatly appreciated. Um, Thanks so much for listening to the show. Try something new today.